Well, good morning, family. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open to Psalm 81 this morning. If you're just joining us for the perhaps the first time this summer, we are, as we are often inclined to do in summers, we're going through just various psalms. And uh, this morning, Psalm 81. It's camping time. If you... Uh, the weather has, has warmed up and it's just a great time. Many of you already have pulled out the camping gear, uh, the tents and the sleeping bags and headed off to spend a weekend or two out somewhere camping. It's that type of camping. It also now begins, as we've talked already this morning, we begin church camping season. This afternoon, as staff goes down and starts setting up for junior camp and the kids go down tomorrow, then about a month from now we have youth camps. Camping is a big part of my life. Literally, over the last 37 years, if you just add up all the children's camps and youth camps, uh, it comes out around two years uh, that I have spent at camp uh, just with those. I love camp. It's near and dear to my heart for, for many, many reasons. And that's actually one of the reasons why this psalm, Psalm 81, is to me a very special song because, as we'll see in a few minutes, the setting of this psalm is all about camping. And you wonder where that is, but we'll get there. Another reason I love this psalm is found actually in the inscription there at the beginning. It says, you'll notice, it says, To the choir master, according to the Giddeth of Asaph. Asaph is the author. He was one of King David's chief musicians. It was written for the choir, and I love choir. That's all good. But it says, of the Giddeth. And if you uh, want to in your afternoon Bible study, go home today and you just go through and read all the Psalms, you'll find that there are only three that have this word and, uh, and it's in the inscription in all cases of the Giddeth. And you wonder, what in the world is that? Well, so do the scholars. They've all, there's different opinions about what, they, what the word Giddeth means. However, I like the Jewish tradition and, and most of the old rabbis what they say is that this is an instrument. And it's an instrument which they say David brought back from Gath. Last week, if you were here, we were in Psalm 61, where David was held captive. It's a Philistine city. He was held captive there by the Philistines. And the, as I say, the rabbis uh, would say that, that he, when he came back from Gath one time, he brought back a Giddeth. So maybe as he got... When he got free, he picked up the flea market or whatever and brought a Giddeth home. You wonder, well, what's a Giddeth? And again, according to many of the scholars, they think it was a very much like a, a guitar. And that's why I like it. I'm a guitar player. And there's three psalms made for guitar players. We may cover all three of them this summer just because they're good. So grab your Giddeth, pull up a seat around the campfire, and uh, let's go camping. This psalm has three calls to God's people. And we'll begin here in verse 1 and 2, and we'll find this first call. It says, Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. It's a call to worship. It's a call to God's people to to worship, and not only to worship, but to worship enthusiastically, to worship loudly, to worship joyfully, to break out the instruments, 
to worship with music, to worship with song. The Christian faith is a singing faith. And it goes back to, as well, to the Jewish roots. God's people have always been a singing people. And we're called here to to sing joyfully. And I do love to hear you sing. I love to hear because we do tend to sing joyfully. I love that. But the truth is, for all of us on occasion, there is a tendency at least from time to time for all of us to come in and to worship half-heartedly. To worship kind of apathetically. It happens, but it shouldn't. Sometimes maybe it's because we're just tired. Sometimes it's maybe because we're preoccupied. Sometimes it's maybe because we're spiritually sick. But if we're spiritually healthy, we ought to be singing and worshiping enthusiastically. And the reason is because God, as it says here, we're to to sing to God and He deserves our utmost praise. It's a call for you and me to make worship a priority. To prepare our hearts and our minds before we ever walk in the door, as it were, to to a worship service, that we should be ready to engage not just to be a spectator, but to be a participant. And not just to be a participant, but to be one who participates energetically, wholeheartedly, enthusiastically. Verse 3, he keeps going. He says, Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. And if I help you translate that, what he says is, Go camping. And I see some of you don't quite make the connection yet. So let me help you out. There is a connection here. What he says is, if you notice, he says that this psalm, as he instructs us here, it's written for a feast day. It's the last thing he says. On our feast day. It's about a feast day. Most of you know, if you've read the Bible, you, you know that God had ordained, He had established for the nation of Israel, He had established certain feast days. Seven of them actually were prescribed in the Old Testament. Seven feasts. Four of them were were in the spring and three of them in the fall. We're more acquainted with the ones in the spring. And there's three in the fall. And I'm going to have to name a couple of them because they're they're, uh, what we're really addressing here. One of them is the Feast of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets in the fall is held on the first day of the seventh month. Now, the Feast of Trumpets is celebrated, and I know this will be a shock to you, and uh, it's celebrated by blowing trumpets, and it happens on the first day of the month. And in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. That means it's set by the, the moon. And so the first day of every month is a new moon. The Feast of Trumpets is on the first day of the seventh month. Then when you get to the 15th day of the seventh month, there's another feast, and it's the last of the feasts, and it is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it's celebrated on the 15th day of the seventh month, which happens to be then the full moon. And now you make the connection. 
You blow the trumpets on the new moon, which is the first day of the month. You celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths on the 15th day, which is a full moon. And that's what he says here. Blow the trumpets on the new moon. And on the full moon is our feast day. The subject of the psalm is about our feast day. It's the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. You're still wondering what does this have to do with camping? We're getting there. The Feast of Tabernacles is a seven-day national holiday, a national party where people live in... Well, actually, they, they travel to Jerusalem. It's one of the three pilgrim feasts where they travel to Jerusalem and then they live for seven days in these booths, these little shacks, these little tabernacles, that temporary dwellings that they build out of sticks and branches and... and uh, that's what they do for seven days. It is a seven-day nationwide fall camping trip. Who knew God established camping and said it's something everybody should do, at least the people of Israel should do. Now, I know some of you think that camping is going to a hotel without a pool. You know? Or one where the... You know, anyway... Some of you think that camping just sounds like a horrible idea. Just a torturous thing for God to ask the people to do. But it really wasn't. It, this was fun. This was, matter of fact, it was the most fun, uh, the most enjoyable, the most joyous of all of the feasts of Israel. The ancient rabbis used to say that Someone who had never witnessed the celebration of tabernacles didn't know what joy was. It was like a church picnic combined with family reunion, combined with, you know, youth summer camp, all rolled into one big thing. And I know some of you think those all sound horrible, but to me that just sounds like heaven. And that's the way it was for the ancient Israelites. And so the psalmist says, we come together and we're to worship God enthusiastically and joyfully as we enjoy this, this wonderful, wonderful seven-day feast and camp out. And then in verses 4 to 7, he calls, us, he calls our attention to the purpose of this feast. Verse 4, For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob, the first reason that we do this, he says, is because God has commanded it. You go back to Leviticus chapter 23, and in Leviticus 23, as the law lays out this, this Feast of Tabernacles and its purpose, and, and what it says is that living in these booths is designed to be a living reenactment, a living reminder of the time when God brought the people out of Egypt and then they lived for a period of time in temporary housing, in tents, in, in booths as they traveled from Egypt to the Promised Land. And then during the years of wandering, when that's whole story, because of their disobedience and how they had to spend 40 years there wandering, but who, how through all of that time, God cared for them. He met their needs. And this Feast of Booths, this Feast of Tabernacles is a command by God, and it's a command to remember, and that's where the psalm takes us next. It's verse 5, God made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt 
I hear a language I had not known. The psalm is taking us back to remember the purpose of the feast. It's to remember that God brought them out of Egypt. And he says, he's remembering the time when they were back in Egypt and God went over the land of Egypt. We think of Passover. And, as, and where in Egypt they heard a language that they did not know. They were, they were foreigners in a strange land. And God delivered them from Egypt. And God's people said, Yay! We got delivered. And then God says, verse 6, I relieved your shoulder of the burden and your hands were freed from the basket. They had been in Egypt and they had been there for 400 years in this strange land that they had been there for the majority of this time now as slaves. God said, I rescued you from slavery. And God's people said, Yay! Then God says, verse 7, In distress you called and I delivered you. God answered their call for help, for rescue from slavery. And God's people said, Yay! And then God said, I answered you in the secret place of thunder. God revealed Himself to them in the thundercloud. You'll recall as they left Egypt, God stayed with them by day in a pillar of cloud, by night in a pillar of fire. Then they got down to Mount Sinai where God gave them the law. And you recall that God was there in the cloud and He spoke to them from the cloud. Sounded and it resounded like thunder. The people said, You know what, Moses, from now on you talk to him. <laughs> they were a little bit scared. But God revealed himself to them. And the people said, Yay! God revealed himself to us. Then God says, again there in verse 7, he says, I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. God tested us at Meribah, and God's people said, Yay! And then suddenly the singer goes, Selah? And the and the the you know the guitars and all the instruments, the orchestra, the band hits some foul chord and the tambourine stops and everybody goes, wait a minute. He tested us at Meribah. It really is kind of bringing up some stuff we'd really rather not remember. See, up to this point, everything's been just a yay and cheer. God's been doing all kinds of great stuff, but God tested them. He put a little bit of pressure on them, and when He did, they caved, they folded like an old taco. See, Meribah is a place that the, the word Meribah means grumbling. There, there were two incidents in Israel's history in their time in the wilderness where God provides water out of rock. One time at the beginning of their time in the wilderness, one time at the end of their time in the wilderness. God provides miracle, water out of a rock to provide water for all the people. That's good news, but the bad news is that before that, the people failed the test and they grumbled and they complained bitterly against God and against Moses. And that's why it was called Meribah, because they were places of grumbling. It's a part of their history they'd really rather forget because it's, you know, like being at a, you know, celebration of the blues winning and. Everybody, all they can talk about is how they failed in the years before. And it's not something they want to hear. So why does God bring this up? Verses 8 to 12. By the way, up till this point, it's been the song leader who's been, who's been speaking and he's, he in some places kind of speaks for God a little bit. But from verse 8 on, it's God Himself who speaks to His people. 
And listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you, and you shall not bow down to a foreign God. God calls for His people to listen to Him. Specifically, God calls for His people to, to listen to His Word. He charges them, challenges them, He admonishes them, He exhorts them, He begs them, really, to listen. It's interesting, over in Deuteronomy chapter 31, we learn a little, another little tidbit of information about the Feast of Tabernacles. Deuteronomy, you probably know, is written by Moses just before he, he dies. Moses is about to die. They're, the people are about to go into the promised land. And before he dies, Moses gives the law a second time. That's really where the title of the book comes from. It means the second giving. Moses is giving the law of God to a new generation of Israelites who will enter the promised land and he wants to make sure that they know the Word of God. And in Deuteronomy 31, Moses gives a, gives a command for the people of Israel from that day forward. And he says this, Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release. You may recall every seven years they were to have the year of Jubilee, the year of release. And he says every year of Jubilee... At the Feast of Booths, that's this feast we're talking about here, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at that place He will choose, because this Feast of Booths is a pilgrim feast, they were supposed to gather at Jerusalem. So when all Israel gathers at the, for the Feast of Booths on the seventh year when they do it, you shall read this law before Israel in their hearing. Before all Israel. So every seven years, on the seventh, every seventh Feast of Booths, when all the nation is gathered there in Jerusalem, they were all camped out, have them all gather the whole nation and read the whole book. You see, now when you put that here and God is saying, I want you to listen to my word, it makes sense. God is saying that now every seventh year when you gather and there you are and the book is read, don't just zone out. Don't just tune out. Don't go, you know, go get some refreshments while they're reading. He says, pay attention. Listen. When you gather together, don't just worship enthusiastically. Don't just, don't just get excited when the, when the band is playing. But I want you to get excited when my word is read and I want you to listen. Verse 9, it says, There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. It's really just it's going over what, if you recall, the very first of the Ten Commandments is you shall have no other gods before me. Here in the poem, that one little verse is kind of symbolically and poetically there to picture the reading of the entire law. And God says, pay attention. Listen to my word. He goes on, verse 10, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God is saying that as you recall, as you live in the booths, you remember that I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt and I kept you safe. I want you to remember that I'm the God who's the faithful God who's cared for you. And so now when you hear my words, listen. 
And if you do, there is a promise. There is a blessing. God says, open wide. You know, in my life, pretty much every time I hear those words, it's not a good thing. It's usually at the dentist. Open wide. And he's got some tools in his hands. And he's about to go do some unpleasant work in my, and I know you're going to find this very hard to believe, in my very small mouth. I know I can make a lot of noise, but my, my mouth is actually very small. And if you need, I can get my dentist to come testify. You have to pry it open and you know, they have to force it in there and they're stretching me and killing me. Open wide is not a pleasant thing to me, but it, God says here it's a pleasant thing. God says, remember your history. Remember how I rescued you, how I provided for you. Listen to my word. It is faithful and true. Trust me and I want you to come to me like a little birdie and I want you to just stick your, you know, stick that mouth up there and open wide. And God says, when you do, trust me, I'm going to fill it. I'm going to fill your mouth. I'm going to bless you. Awesome. How many of you like hearing that? That's good stuff. But there's a problem. Verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. The problem is while God says, come, remember what I've done and listen to me and trust me, open wide and I will bless you. God's people say, well, thanks God. Instead of listening to Him historically again and again, they don't listen to God. They go the other direction. It's a persistent problem with Israel throughout the Old Testament. A persistent problem with God's people then, and it's a persistent problem with God's people today in the church. Because we tend to be like them. We believe in God. If you ask them, The the Israelites back then, do you believe in God? Absolutely. We believe in Yahweh. He's our God. And they would go to temple. They would go to do all the rituals. They would keep the, the feasts and they would enjoy them. They would bring sacrifices. Much like us today. Do you believe in God? Absolutely. Are you God's people? Absolutely. We believe in Jesus. And you come to church and we sing the songs and we give some offerings and we say, yeah. The problem is they believe in God. They believe He's real, but they don't fully believe God. They don't fully trust Him so that they do what He says. And you see, I have the same problem. I believe in God. And I believe what He says about Himself. And I believe it all the way up through the worship time and all the way through everything at church until I get home and, and there comes a point where God says, do this or don't do that. And my little will and my little mind, they go, well, I want to do that. And I don't want to do that. And instead of doing what God says, I do what I want. And instead of not doing what God says, don't do. Do you have the same problem? You see, we're Israelites. (laughs) We're just like them in this. 
God says, that's the problem with my people is they don't listen. They call themselves God's people. They go through all the motions out here, but they don't really listen. They don't really submit. And they're stubborn. And it ought not be so. But listen to what God says next, verse 12. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. God lets them go. I've noticed that God often will give us what we want if we persist long enough. One of the great judgments that God visits upon His people is to abandon us to ourselves, to our own plans, to our own desires. We think we know better than God what we want, what we need, what's good, and after we keep pushing against Him long enough, He just says, okay, have your own way. You know, I remember there were times growing up especially as I got older, where my dad, instead of just saying no, he would say, you shouldn't do that. And I'd say, why not? Well, and he'd give reasons why. But I want to. And dad would say, well, don't come crying to me. Would any of your dads ever say that? Don't come crying to me when... And, Ouch! <laughs> In other words, I've told you what I think, and I told you why, and now it's on you. And there are times that our Heavenly Father does that with us. His Word is here. He makes it clear. He says, don't go that way. I love you. Trust me, don't go that way. And we say, but I want to. And... Ignoring God always goes badly, doesn't it? Well, there's a third call from God to His people here in this passage. We pick that up in verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my way. God is longing for His people to follow Him. He's calling out here to His campers at Camp Tabernacle. And he's saying, folks, I want you to worship. I want you to listen, but I don't want you just to listen. I want you to follow. I want you to remember all the grace and blessings that I poured out on you. I want you to learn from, from Israel's failures. I want you to learn from your own failures. And I want you to follow. And then he goes on and he says, if you will follow me, if you will listen and follow, then look at verse 14. He says, I will soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward Him and their fate would last forever. What he says is, is apparently these people are being oppressed in some way. At the time this psalm was written, Israel is under oppression from some enemies. And God is not coming to their aid because He's allowing them to reap the consequences of their disobedience. But God says, if you will listen, and if you'll just listen and start following Me, I'll protect you. I will come to your aid. Not only God says will He protect them, but He will bless them. Verse 16 God will feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. 
Here at Camp Tabernacle, God just says, man, I just wish you guys would listen and you'd follow. And if you'd follow, I will protect you and I will bless you. He says He'll meet their needs, give them the finest of wheat, and He will satisfy them, He says, with honey from the rock. God longs for us to not just be those who believe in Him, but those who believe Him. Big difference between those. That we will trust Him and follow Him even when it's difficult, even when we aren't really convinced that's the, you know, that's the way I want to go. Follow Him anyway. God says, if you open wide your mouth, I'll fill it. That's quite a promise. Say, Pastor, do you really believe that God is saying here that if we will trust Him, if we'll listen to Him and trust Him and follow Him, that He will bless us? I say, well, yeah, because that's what He says. So we're now a prosperity theology church. I say, no. But yeah, He'll bless us. What does it mean? He isn't promising here a new Ferrari in every garage. He's not even promising a garage. He's not promising health and wealth. He's not promising a life without difficulty. You see, He doesn't promise that they won't have enemies. He just promises that He will protect them. We saw that last week in Psalm 61. He says that if God is for us, who can be against us? He still has enemies and they're still going to do stuff and it may still hurt, but they cannot thwart God's purpose for your life and my life. God is still working to bless us. So how does God promise to bless us? It's an interesting phrase here because He says He's going to bless us with what? With honey from the rock. Now, I'm a city boy. Grew up in El Paso when I was young and in Dallas. Never grew up on a farm. Never lived out in the country. Farthest I got into the country was when we moved to Lake St. Louis. 37 years ago, it was kind of out. (laughs) But I know something. You don't get honey from rocks. Right? Any of you country folks? Honey doesn't come from rocks. So that's an odd expression. Of course, water doesn't come from rocks either. But he's reminded them in the song that twice before in their experience, God brought water out of the rock to supply His people. Despite, by the way, their grumbling and their failing the test. And the God who provided water out of the rock for a disobedient people says for the obedient people, I'll provide honey from the rocks. You see, what He's saying is, that the blessings that God's going to provide aren't the blessings we expect. And they're not going to come from the places we expect them to come from. 
The blessings that the world expects is health and wealth. Prosperity and safety. But God says there's going to be times you're going to be in the wilderness. There's going to be times you have enemies. There are times that things are going to be difficult. But in the places that you don't expect and from the sources that you don't expect, I'm going to provide blessings that you don't anticipate. And the blessing, the honey from the rock, will blow you away. And it will satisfy you in ways you never imagined. The question isn't, will God do it? The question is, will we believe Him and trust Him? God is faithful. He has demonstrated it all through history in Israel. And you've seen it in your own life. But that's the call to you and me. That's what God wanted them to learn at camp. And so this summer, even if you're not one who actually likes to go camping, I encourage you spiritually to go camping And to take the lessons here from Psalm 81 and understand how we have a God who loves us so much and desires to bless us if we will only listen and if we'll only follow. Let's pray. Father, how we thank You. Your Word says, Psalm 37, 4, says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Father, may we, may we put that into practice. Our tendency, the, the natural bent we have, Isaiah said, we're prone to wander. <laughs> our natural tendency is to go our own way. That's why you set up Camp Tabernacle. Seven days for people to remember and reflect on your blessings, on your faithfulness, on their history. Days to focus on your Word to remember what You've promised. Now, Father God, may we learn from that. May we likewise be faithful to dig into Your Word and to learn to learn Your promises. May we be, faith, may we be faithful to note Your faithfulness in the past. May all of that move us to listen And not just to listen, to follow. And then, Lord, as we begin to see Your blessings in the ways we never imagined, may that draw our hearts ever nearer to You and may it cause us to respond with all the more joy as we honor You and then as we proclaim Your name to people who have not heard and who need to know There is a great God who is compassionate and gracious, who is kindness and full of mercy. May we point them to Jesus. It's in His name we ask it. Amen.